0: And Lewis Hamilton claimed his ninth win of the season in the San Marino, sorry, the Emilia Romana Grand Prix at Imola with a little help from Esteban Ocon's gearbox and the virtual safety car. But would he have won anyway? I'm Ed Straw and joining me to answer this and all the other questions about the race are Scott Mitchell and Mark Hughes. Well, Scott, how are you you doing? Uh, I hope you're quite jealous of the fact that I got to go to Imola because I've I've been really enjoying being at Imola because of all the history and everything and, and you're you're stuck in your Stockholm pad.
1: Yeah, I've been quite ill the last few days. So it's probably a good thing in these uh, unusual times that I was absolutely nowhere near the paddock. Um, I probably would have prompted all sorts of uh, concerns that uh, something was something was amiss. But it's fine. I got to enjoy the Imala Renan from the comfort of my own flat. So it was still quite nice.
0: I did sneeze at one point during the weekend and got a few funny looks.
1: but Yeah, but that's nothing to do with COVID times, Ed. That's because when you sneeze, it's like the foundations of a building shake.
0: Yeah, which is not ideal considering I do suffer from hay fever as well, even this late in the year. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a common occurrence. Those who work in the media centre are used to, uh, to that kind of thing. And also, someone who's been to Imola for plenty of San Marino Grand Prix is Mark Hughes. It's great to be back there, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, although I wasn't physically present, it was great to see it again. Great to see cars going around there again, um, but uh, I've got to say these these cars, this generation of cars, sort of dwarfed the circuit. I thought um, they just sort of devoured it. It looked like the the drivers were just sort of guiding them like missiles rather than driving them really. But uh, deeply impressive. But uh, yeah, not not sure what it means. But um, yeah, it, it, was, it was a beautiful place, and um, it, was, it was just mind blown seeing um some of the in-car stuff
0: yeah it did look absolutely great it was a little bit weird because it was a bit like a ghost town because obviously the crowd were were shut out not too long before actually because the covid situation's worsening and of course there's a kind of 6 p.m curfew's not quite the word but all the restaurants and everything's shut so there was hardly anyone there but it, it, it was great I, I must admit i I took the chance to actually watch the start kind of in person, as it were. You know, often we'll see the start through a media center window or from afar, but uh, yeah, I was able to watch the start from above the pits, which was uh, a, a very good moment. It's just uh, I've not actually quite been that close to a Grand Prix start, funnily enough, in all the uh, in all the Grand Prix I've been to, so uh, I took the opportunity to do that, and I'm just sorry that there weren't more people able to see it. Well, shall we get on with it and pile into it, Mark? Uh, Valtteri Bottas took pole, led the first stint, albeit without a massive margin over Max Verstappen, but really the die was cast for him in this race when he hit that debris on the second lap, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, that was him effectively done for because it lost him 15 points of downforce, which um, Merck reckoned equates to about seven-tenths of a second. Um, So, you know, it was fundamentally a slower car at that point than um, Verstappen's Red Bull. So when uh, Red Bull pulled the undercut plug, Mercedes had to respond because if it left them out for one more lap than they did, um, he would have lost the place. And so essentially that had taken... um, The two cars are running ahead of Hamilton. They'd taken care of each other and just left the way clear for Hamilton to pull out that um, gap, which, you know, because it was such an early stop, he still had loads of life left in his tyres. Um... He inherited that sort of 23-second lead. He needed to build it up, up to about 27, 28, which he did over the subsequent laps, despite encountering some traffic. So, yeah, that was it, really. So it was all down to that bit of Sebastian Vettel, Vettel uh, end plate to Tosa on the, that he put down there on the first lap and which um, Valtteri c- collected on the second lap.
0: Yeah, you've got to feel a little bit sorry for uh, Valtteri Bottas, haven't you? Because he did everything he needed to do. He's had some races this year where it's not gone right for him through what he was doing, but he'd have won that race probably without that debris, wouldn't he? He'd certainly have been in control of it, and unless he'd struggled with the tyres towards the end of the first stint, it's hard to see any way past him.
2: Yeah, I'd say he would have been favourite to win from that position, from from the from the lead, and with, with um, Verstappen in between... Him and Hamilton. So yeah, you'd have to say it would have, you would have had to try very hard to to lose it from there. Um, there it wasn't it wasn't really a great deal of um, tire um, looking after tires to to do really. They, they were they were pretty uniform in how they were degrading. Um, so yeah, I think it was probably a a lost victory.
0: And Scott, it was 28.437 seconds was the the gap from Hamilton to Bottas before uh, the virtual safety car was triggered by Esteban Ocon's gearbox failure. So that made it a foregone conclusion Hamilton would be able to stop and, and jump. And it was a little bit of a shame we didn't get to see that play out because he was still edging away. He seemed to have a pace advantage over the, even the the fresher tired Bottas, thanks to Bottas's damage. But it, it would have been nice if there was at least a chance for that to play out normally, but I don't think it would have changed the result really, would it?
1: uh no i think um i think it's more just sort of what uh what it was able the story of the race and and how it was shown because um even with obviously the the pace pace loss that that bottas was suffering it was um it was quite impressive and it was lending a nice narrative to the race to see hamilton build that gap by extending that stint and i think that had he rejoined with a second or a second and a half over Bottas and then had to face the tyre warm-up issue, it would have just been a nice visual prompt of what Hamilton had worked for. And instead, the image of the VSC basically being deployed as Hamilton is able to go into the pit lane and then ending as he's coming out of the pit lane and then giving Lewis a multi-second advantage, all that does is just lend lend itself to the narrative that that Hamilton is just lucky and he's won that race for a good fortune. And, you know, it's, um, well, it's like so many things in formula one, The, the truth is a mix of the two. Obviously there was an element of luck involved because the VSC gave Hamilton a nice cushion and meant that even if Verstappen had got past Bottas quicker, Hamilton was already in the clear, irrespective of Verstappen's failure. Um, and obviously there was good fortune in the fact that bottas had the car damage so so hamilton had that opportunity but he, he still had to execute he still had to manage the tires which wasn't an easy feat considering he was obviously tucked up behind verstappen for so long in, in the first stint so you know there was a there was a classic uh display of hamilton in full tire whisperer mode wasn't there for for much of that race but unfortunately instead of it being a lovely mix of uh skill judgment and fortune a lot of people are now only looking at that race as Hamilton got lucky again
0: yeah there was there was some good fortune there but yeah equally you do have to still uh still do it how about Red Bull and Verstappen Mark could that race have played out a little bit differently ironically Max Verstappen might have been better off had he not gained second uh at the start funnily enough because then it would have created an interesting situation with uh, the two Mercedes driver, the slow and ahead, and what and how they timed the pit stop. He might have been able to to uh, have a proper undercut attack in a different way.
2: Yeah, that's true. It might have opened up a sliver of opportunity there, which Red Bull are always good at pouncing upon. Um, the, the the car just wasn't quite there this weekend. It was it, it's still not really been as competitive as we saw at the um, was it Nurburgring. That's probably its most competitive showing, I think. Um, it was probably closer than qualifying made it appear, just because of Max's um, session was disturbed with that spark plug failure in Q two. But um, yeah, it, it, in a in a straight fight, it it wasn't going to beat the Mercedes. But yeah, there could have been a, a sliver of opportunity, as you say, if things if the cards had played just slightly differently.
0: It's one of those things, isn't it? We keep looking for this this Red Bull proper chance to have a straight fight, but it's never really been at that level, has it? Only when external factors have intervened, for example, at Silverstone in the... uh, the I can't remember which one it was. the The first Silverstone race, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So they've all melded into one. Those. Oh, sorry. Those two the first racers. one was won
2: by Hamilton. The second one was won. It was the 70th anniversary one. That was yes, won by yes, yeah.
0: Of course, yeah. It was the tyre failures in the first one, and then it was the uh, tyre blistering in the second. Yeah, I've got yeah. that one sorted out in in my mind. Well, while I try and work out what's happened so far this season, uh, we should probably move on to the constructors' championship, Scott, because it was always a question of when rather than if one uh, Mercedes won the Constructors title. Would be remiss not to touch on it. Seven in a row, never achieved before. We need some new superlatives, don't we, to to describe this achievement?
1: Uh, yeah, we could come up with some, um, we could just create our own, or we could just use some ridiculously childish ones. You know, this is a redonkulous achievement, isn't it, really, from, uh, from Mercedes. It's... Um, it's just uh, it's redefining success in in Formula One, and it's setting a bar that I don't think any other team will ever will ever reach. Um, I think there's such a perfect there's such a perfect blend at the moment going on inside that team, and uh, everyone's playing a part. And I think um, I read uh, I read a really nice quote from um, for, from Andrew Shovlin, the the engineering chief at Mercedes. Um, I think he was speaking to um, the BBC's Andrew Benson and uh shov said that you know trying to trying to determine how much of it is car how much of it is driver is missing the point the point is that there's this incredible team in place um and i've got i've got a lot of respect for for what mercedes have achieved i think um we're going to be detailing the the sort of uh genesis of this domination in a in a special feature on the, on the race website i think on tuesday um, I've spoken to um, I've spoken to Andy Cow, the, the 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 former engine chief now, and also uh, John Owen, the architect of the uh, of the car the cars themselves, to sort of dig into how this all began. And I just think it's incredible when you think like it's. I feel like it's does Mercedes a massive disservice when everyone just puts it down to to, to the engine. And obviously, the engineer has been a big facilitator of this this success, but. There were major car changes in 2014 as well. You know, they nailed it better than anybody else across 2014 to 2016. Then there were major aero changes for 17 and Mercedes stayed on top. Then they changed the front wing wing rules uh for 2019 and Mercedes stayed on top. Ferrari have come at them and failed, Red Bull have come at them and failed, Honda's leaving F1. Um it's Honda has literally entered and left F1 in the in that window in which Mercedes has won 7 consecutive titles. So I just think they can't get enough credit for, for, for what they've they've achieved. I appreciate it's boring. I appreciate that we'd really all love them to, to stop doing this um, after seven. You know, seven's enough, isn't it? It's a nice number, the magnificent seven. Please don't go for eight. But let's not take it away from them because this is a, a, a truly phenomenal berserk achievement. <laughs>
0: That's another good superlative that you've kind of co-opted there. I'm not quite sure it works, but I know what you mean.
1: Well, you 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 said that we were running out, so you now just you just have to take random words at this stage, Ed. They don't even have to be real words.
0: Okay, well, to be honest, that's pretty much how I uh, normally work when it comes to hosting. Yeah, I've podcasts. seen you, and,
1: and it's also how you converse. You know, I've got enough WhatsApp messages from you, so it's how you type, it's how you speak.
0: Yeah, well, the 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 brain to to WhatsApp connection is not always uh, that well put together. But one thing we should say, Mark, is, and this came up a bit after the race, is that for all the the brilliance of this Mercedes team, everything working in harmony, everyone making their contribution. We have got the star driver, Lewis Hamilton, who still hasn't got his deal sorted out. We still don't know exactly what Toto Wolf's role is going to be. So there's a, there's a few shenanigans going on there in, in the background, aren't there?
2: Yeah, I think there's some um, brinkmanship going on in um, that uh, Mercedes on one side and Lewis on the other uh, aren't seeking exactly the same thing. Um, and of course, they've both got a, um powerful leverage over the other. Um so it's 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 who blinks first. But um yeah, th- there's been this thing going on for a few races now. And I think I touched on it about three or four races back saying, you know, how come how come this deal hasn't been sorted yet? It seems a bit odd. Um and it's it's getting more odd uh, it's getting odder by the race, isn't it? So it's something that Lewis was talking about in the press conference Tonight he said, well, it's not a given that I'm going to be there next year. He was asked about Toto being there next year. And he said, well, well how would I, why ask asking me that? I, I can't give an answer to that. I don't even know if I'm going to be here. Um, and then he was given the opportunity to, to put that fire out by a, a follow-up question. And he, he didn't. Um, so, yeah, I'm pretty sure he will be driving next year. He will be in a, in a Mercedes next year. Um, my guess would be he probably wants a shorter term contract than Mercedes are trying to, um, get him to sign. Um, that, but that's only my guess. If I had to bet my house on it, I'd say he'll be here next year. If I had to bet my house on, will he be there in 22? I'd say no.
0: Are you betting your house just to be clear? No. <laughs> okay. I just wanted to make sure cause I thought I could go back. It's all recorded. You know, in a few weeks time I could go out and say, well, I've got your house now. <laughs> I could charge you rent? Yeah,
2: you'd inherit the dog. <laughs> that
0: wouldn't be a bad thing. I'm I'm very pro dog. Uh, but but anyway, uh, Scott. I mean, we do expect this all to happen, don't we? But it, it is, as Mark says, a little bit odd because it is November, and I think no matter how much supposed goodwill and trust there is on both sides, when you're a massive organisation like that, not to have everything set in stone and locked down is uh, there's an inherent risk in it, isn't there? Even though we think it will all be sorted out, it's just a, it is just an oddity.
1: Yeah I think um, I think no smoke without fire and I don't think it would have got to November. As Hamilton said it's pretty crazy that we're already in November and Christmas feels like it's just around the corner assuming obviously Covid doesn't cancel Christmas um, and we're at a stage where the world champion still doesn't have a contract in place next year. Now that wouldn't be the case if there wasn't if some if there wasn't something up and that doesn't mean that yeah, that Hamilton's poised to walk away. It doesn't mean that there's been a big falling out behind the scenes, but it means that something hasn't quite been reconciled, and that's not going to be fixed quickly. All the while that Hamilton and Wolf don't seem to be in a major rush to get it done, so I, I, I think it's uh, I think it's tied to to what Toto does ne- next. I, I reckon it's probably what what Toto's role exactly is going to be, and who his success is going to be, and what that plan is. You know, is Toto really going to leave the team principal role straight away next year and then, you know, an outsider comes in or they promote from within and um, uh, and then that successor takes over straight away. Does there need to be some kind of handover period? Um, You know, does Lewis believe that they're going to make the right decision? He's obviously got confidence that Toto's too good a leader not to put in a proper, proper succession plan that works for Mercedes. So I suspect he buys into it. So I do wonder if there's a little bit of um, Toto knowing that with him and Lewis, their fates are kind of intertwined, aren't they? So maybe there's a little bit of Lewis holding out because it suits him to see exactly what Mercedes have to offer. But it also helps Toto a little bit, doesn't it? Because if um, if Toto can go to Daimler and say, well, you know, Lewis wants to drive for me, then that, that gives Toto a very strong hand to play, doesn't it, in his personal negotiations. I'm not saying they are in cahoots, um, but it... It's just that element Sounds like of, it's <laughs> but it's just that element of, uh, uh, of Toto and Lewis go really well together. So it just makes sense for everything to so I, I think when one of those deals fall into place, the other one will, I don't think one gets resolved quickly without the other. Let's put it that way.
0: Yeah, we certainly don't want to be sounding any alarm bells on this. It's just interesting to understand what the dynamic is behind. Sometimes it's not a question of, oh, is he going to suddenly walk away? It's what, what's, the, what's the questions that are being answered uh, behind the scenes. That's an interesting one to continue to keep an eye on. It will, will probably be this time next year and they'll still be saying, oh, no, we'll get the contract done eventually. And you're going to think, well, you're 11 months in now to not to doing this on a handshake. So uh, who knows? Perhaps it'd be an old school uh, deal. Does anyone want to
2: have any sympathy for Valtteri Bottas? He did qualify very well, did a good job. Yeah, he did a great job. He didn't do anything wrong. I mean, he beat, he beat Lewis Hamilton qualifying. He beat him off the start and was leading the race. And then it just it went wrong because it was a bit of debris and he was the first car to find it.
1: Yeah, it's a little bit like um, same old, same old for Boss has, isn't it? Every time he seems to get one over on Lewis, either through himself or some other variable, it just goes away from him on on, on race day. It's a tale as old as time. <laughs>
0: And We should say it was a very substantial piece of Sebastian Vettel, uh, not Sebastian <laughs> Vettel. Right? Be His terrible. car <laughs> <laughs> of Sebastian Vettel's car, yeah, it was a bit of front wing, wasn't it? Quite a substantial chunk of it. Um, I think it was. Uh, yeah, it was the of, end of, but it, yes. yeah, but it, but it's you know, it, it it does the damage. So I think some people were suggesting there was some, it's just some excuse or whatever. But no, it was. Uh, it's very clear. Lap two, obviously that uh, happened. Well, let's move a little bit down the order because there was all sorts going on in this race beyond that battle up front. So, Mark, this was a race with the the kind of podium no one wanted because once Max Verstappen had uh, had retired, there was the podium finish up for grabs. Lots of uh, of contenders for that. Sergio Perez looked on target for his first podium since 2018 in Azerbaijan. But that decision to pit under the late safety car really was a, a big mistake in the grand scheme of
2: things, wasn't it? In hindsight, yes, it wasn't quite clear what was going to be more valuable. 12 laps to go it's right on the cusp of whether track position was going to be more valuable than performance or vice versa. So, you you know, you got the cheap pit stop um, under the safety car, so you weren't losing that much time, and you were c- going to be restarting on a you know much faster set of tyres, so it was very tempting, and some went for it, including Racing Point with Sergio and... Um, it didn't work. Others that did go for it, including Daniel Kvyat, it did work. It worked beautifully. <clears throat> so, yeah, there probably wasn't um, a, a correct answer. It was just two very evenly evenly matched strategies in the end. And um, it was just how, uh, you know, how the cards fell. And uh, Ricciardo defended perfectly. And um, Kvyat made a fantastic effort on the restart and passed three cars.
0: Yeah, I think Racing Point's uh, reasoning was that they had the car set up very much with the long runs in mind. So they were really worried about building temperature at the restart. I think that was what tipped the uh, tipped the scales, even though Perez had actually gone longer than that group of people he was battling with. Obviously, he done a brilliant job. I think he gained five places through just running long on having started on the mediums. He was the highest starter in the midfield pack on mediums with a free choice, thanks to qualifying 11th. I must admit, I get why they did it. I do understand it. But I did say to you, Scott, Literally, as he was in the pit lane, I don't get why they've pitted him. Because I think, as you said, Mark, it was a little bit of a 50-50 decision. But I feel like when you've got that track position, you probably hold it. I think what surprised them, and Andy Green did say this, they were surprised that not everyone came in. So I think they were slightly wrong-footed by that. And the amount of cars that Paris had to try and get past, plus of course, for reasons we'll get onto later, uh, one individual caused a, a, an extension of the safety car period with a with an unfortunate mishap that they couldn't have foreseen. So less time to to make good on the uh, the tires, and to also to survive if you're on the, uh, the the older ones. So yeah, a shame because that was a, was a good run for them. But of course, it meant that Daniel Ricciardo Scott was the driver who got through. Now he took that breakthrough podium. It was Germany, wasn't it, Nürburgring, uh, finally Renault's first podium. Now, he was a star attraction in the press conference after that race, wasn't he? But this time, nobody asked him anything, didn't he? He had a bit of a, he had a not a complaint, but he just sort of had <laughs> a little joke at the end of it because he'd been asked the sort of invigilator questions by uh, by Tom Clarkson, but everyone was flinging questions at the at the Mercedes drivers. But in many ways, actually, this podium was probably a little bit more surprising, even though Ricardo had qualified fifth.
1: Yeah, I think um, I, I think that it wasn't. It didn't look like Renault was the fastest. Um, the fastest car. Well, it wasn't the the Alpha the Alpha Tari was the was the fastest of the of the Class B cars. Whereas, obviously, at the Nurburgring, I think Renault had been sort of chipping away and chipping away, and lots of nearly but not quite uh, results in their bid to get a podium. So it just all sort of all came together there, and then here it was just uh, sort of one. One, one opportunity arose when, obviously, Ricardo was able to to, to mug uh, Gasly uh, at the start. Um, but then it was seeming like seemingly a, a pretty straightforward run to to fourth place. It didn't really look like there was anything else um, anything else on offer at any point. And then, obviously, Verstappen has that quite specta- spectacular failure, um, and suddenly Ricardo's in that position to to. For a second podium in three races, it's um, it really uh, it doesn't do anything to disprove uh, cliches like you know waiting for London buses and 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 stuff like this, does it? Given how long Renault waited for that first podium, but it's just a, another, I think, another example of why even though it hasn't worked out exactly how Renault and Ricardo wanted, it shows why Renault wanted a driver like Ricardo and was willing to pay through the nose to to get him because he's made the difference, hasn't he? They wouldn't have any podiums um in F1 still if if Ricardo wasn't in one of those those cars he he did an exceptional job in qualifying to to, to bounce back from a difficult uh start in Q1 and slightly, slightly precarious position and then executed executed nailed the start flawless race was opportunistic when that chance came to take third place and then he did what he needed to do to to withstand pressure late on he could have wilted didn't wilt it was just textbook Ricardo and he now has, which I realised earlier, the same number of podiums for Renault this season as he did with Red Bull in his farewell Red Bull season in 2018, which is pretty ridiculous.
0: <laughs> yeah, and all credit to him for doing it because even though he needed Perez to make that strategy call, obviously it was strategy that got Perez ahead in the first place. Brilliant qualifying that from Ricardo. He was running fourth in that first stint, having capitalised on the fact Gasly was kind of. Crowded out a little bit by uh, Hamilton on that on that first lap, having actually made a pretty good start. So yeah, there's a bit of what goes around comes around there for for Ricardo. Of course, as we said, Ocon couldn't back him up with points in the second car because the gearbox gave out, which caused that VSC later on. Now, Mark, there was another driver in that podium contention. He was another who could have done it, Daniel Kvyat. um His F1 career does seem to be coming to a close. Uh, Yuki Tsunoda is set to replace him next year. Super licence points permitting he was very close wasn't he he did stop under that vsc and he did stop under that safety car and what a charging performance the like of which we haven't very often seen from him actually almost got in there
2: yeah the alpha was working brilliantly well this weekend we saw with not only gasly's qualifying performance but also um the long runs of both him and Kvyat um, in the the sole practice session, and was they, they were doing some quite startling times. Um, so the the car was working really well, um, but he did capitalize beautifully on it. He, he particularly on that on that restart. Um, so he did Perez and Albon pretty much in one move. Um, you know, on, on the slipstream past them on on the restart immediately, and then did a beautiful move around the outside of a Leclerc. Leclerc um around Piratella so which was quite a, a ballsy corner to be going around the outside of someone off, and it was just yeah it was beautifully done and he was ch- chasing Ricciardo right to the end so yeah lovely performance lovely drive um but yeah they're they're just a little bit too rare those sort of performances um the the, the car sort of enabled them to 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 do it but um, he, he, he maximised it and um, yeah, if, if he was able to do that regularly, he would still be safe in that seat but um, yeah, he's he's had several seasons now and we, his peaks are high and we've just saw one of them there but unfortunately that's what they are, they're just peaks
1: Yeah, all it really showed is that when a few things come together, Kvyat's quite a good Grand Prix driver but unfortunately as uh, Mark said, he's kind of just it's the exception that proves the rule, isn't it? This, uh, this performance.
0: Yeah, he's he's sometimes a frustrating driver, Kvyat. But despite the fact he had that that good result, he was still two tenths slower than Gasly in qualifying. I think he was fairly comfortable with the car because they they were very pleased that they had a sort of good strong rear axle, as Jody Eginson, the technical director, put it, and also in the way it's working the tyres. So I think Kvyat tends to be at his best when he's. Got reasonable confidence in the rear. He doesn't. He struggled more compared to Gasly when the car's been sort of having, sort of hanging out. And you're really kind of on on that limit in the corner. Gasly handles that really well. Kvyat seems a little bit limited by it. Good performance, but we have to remember that obviously Gasly would have been a chunk ahead of him had he not had that coolant leak early on. He ran fifth in that first stint. Very fine qualifying performance in fourth. So I think this is a story of AlphaTauri having a good weekend. Kvyat doing a good job, but. Gasly was, was kind of the star driver there, and we keep talking about Gasly, don't we, because he's been such a, a massive story this season, and we had the ongoing issue, Scott, with uh, him being asked if he knew why he wasn't being considered for Red Bull, Christian Horner saying, no, he knows full well why he's not not being considered. Maybe there was a little bit lost in translation, uh, so to speak, in that, in terms of exactly what questions they precisely where we're answering. But I think Gasly's in a great place, isn't he, carrying on with, with AlphaTauri?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a situation that gets the best out of him. Um, and he's clearly very good at getting the best out of the team as well. And uh, that organisation seems to be going from from strength to strength as the uh, the sister team, as we need to get used to calling it now, rather than the Red Bull junior team. So I think they'll benefit from having a an on-form, motivated Gasly uh, for 2021. But um, I think I've said on this podcast before, Uh, I really think Gasly should now be having his eyes on something a bit bigger elsewhere. I think it's pretty clear he doesn't have a long-term future at at Red Bull because uh, part of that organisation, you know, at at the very top, someone somewhere doesn't have faith in him. Um, And if a a season like this in which he's won at at Monza can't change that perception, then nothing's going to change it. So he's better off... Uh, getting as much as he can out of AlphaTauri this season and next season, and then sniping for, for Esteban Ocon's seat. At, well, what will be Alpine by then? I, I don't think he's got a future within the the Red Bull family, which is which is grossly unfair because he's been he's been absolutely superb this season, and this weekend was just the latest example of that.
0: I'm not going to go quite as far as grossly unfair I, 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 because he did have a chance in in Red Bull, and the reason they're not that keen on him is because of some of the way he did things. I think it's a little bit of a shame that they're not allowing, if they're not allowing a proper rehabilitation, I think they do need to seriously look at that. But equally, there will be reasons for it, shall we we say. And he didn't make himself entirely popular with the race team, even though he's a very, very, very good driver. So a little bit unfair, maybe not grossly unfair. So a gradation of uh, unfairness there. Now, as usual, we're going to talk about how good Charles Leclerc is. He finished fifth behind Kvyat and ahead of Sergio Perez. And this was just Leclerc just doing what he's always doing. He's not—he wasn't fourth as he'd been in the last few weekends, but qualified really well, dragged what he could out of the car. I think he was one of three drivers to combine his three best sector times to put together the lap. And one of those was for Verstappen, who'd obviously had problems and then ran on the medium. So that comparison for him isn't quite there. The other—the other one who really did it was was Ricardo. So. Leclerc, Mark, is just week in, week out. He's just a class act, isn't it? It's just a shame he's saddled with a car that's not good enough.
2: Yeah, I think he's the only driver I would, uh, on the basis of this season, I would unhesitatingly stay week in, week out, is delivering a similar level of personal performance to that of Hamilton or Verstappen. Um, others are getting there um, sometimes, but he, I think he's he's doing it more consistently than he than he did last year. And of course, he was much more on limelight a much more competitive car. But yeah, he's just every time he gets in, he he, he stars. He does a, a brilliant job every time, and this is just yeah what we expect of him now. So it makes it makes the prospects of next year's Ferrari with a you know a new engine and given that its chassis seems quite respectable now. Um, you know, it just adds that little bit of um, friction of excitement. Really, the fact that it's it's going to be um, pushed t- towards absolute limit, and you know, though you will see the, the 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 full potential of whatever they've got in store.
0: It says a lot about Ferrari that they were in a bit of danger of slipping behind uh, Alfa Tower in the battle to be the best Italian team in the constructors' championship. Only sixteen points ahead, and Alfa Tauri fancied their chances of cutting into that quite heavily, but obviously the Gasly Coolant leak and retirement uh, prevented that and Leclerc covered uh, most of the uh, of the losses, but that says much about uh, Ferrari's struggles. Now, Scott, McLaren had a, a slightly anonymous race. Sainz and Norris were, were there, but they weren't quite in the thick of it, were they? Finished 7th uh, and 8th. Weren't quite that big midfield threat and it, it's very similar weekends for two drivers, so similar level. Now we've got Renault, McLaren and Racing Point covered by just one point in that battle for, for third place. Renault actually are up in third now. So is this kind of a good or a bad weekend for McLaren? Because it was a tricky weekend for them. But again, they got two cars to the finish in the points, which their other rivals in this battle didn't do.
1: Yes, yeah, it is difficult to judge for for, the, for that reason. But I suppose that we've seen some ups and downs from all of the, teams in this fight for third all season so if if mcLaren can come away with double, double points finish and 10 points and still be only one point away from the summit in that fight then I suppose that's got to be a net win but I would imagine they're a little bit worried that they just they just don't quite seem to have the peak pace either one lap or in the race do they of their rivals even as they're trying to phase in more more updates so I think it's a Potentially cause for slight concern, but at the same time, a marker of uh, what progress the team has made. That this could be questioned and said to be a, a disappointing result. But I think with the way that they've they started the season and the performances that they've shown at time times, I think they'll be very disappointed if they don't get third in the championship. Because while they might not have the peaks of their opposition, I think the the big secret weapon that McLaren's had all year is that they've had two drivers that are pretty much inseparable. So when the car's been capable of getting points, which has been, I think, pretty much every single weekend, both cars have been there fighting for for, for points. So that might be what gets them over the line is maybe Renault and Racing Point and Ferrari are going to trade that sort of fourth, be- uh, sorry, fourth on the road best of the rest behind Mercedes and Red Bull, but it'll be McLaren that keeps chipping away and scoring points with both cars while the others take sort of turns being 4th or 5th on the road.
0: Yeah, and that having both cars in the points is so important because obviously Ocon he's had 3 DNF's in 5 now uh, through no fault of his own just with with various uh, various problems. So that's impacting Renault's capacity to score and then Lance Stroll in racing point, very strange weekend from Stroll again, very underwhelming qualified 15th. Obviously, never really got into got going in the race. Almost, even though he was there for uh, for the the entirety of it. Andrew Green, after the race, did concede that maybe there is a little bit of a a COVID hangover there for for Lance Stroll. But also, it seems like he struggled a little bit with the feel of the of the car on turning since they had the suspension change. Was it Sochi uh, weekends? He certainly didn't have that confidence on 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 turning, but. Stroll himself looks a, looks a little bit lost, and and they do need him up there picking up those uh, those points because I think racing points should be third. They they've got the car to be third. Remember they've lost fifteen points for the uh, the brake ducts thing that we shall not go back into here, and of course they've had loads of problems. Both drivers have missed races through COVID, had the big crash that Stroll had at, at Mugello, which was through no fault of his own. So. There's been a lot of blows for, for for that team, and I think they should be favourites in that group, but they do need both cars scoring. Talking about cars scoring or not scoring, Mark, we're going to have to get on to George Russell. Um, now, he would have had a, a chance of holding on to, to a points position. He'd have taken the restart in 10th place, but then he shunted under the safety car, and there's just, there's just no way to sugarcoat that, is there?
2: No, no. Um, just such a fundamental just schoolboy era and he absolutely knows that himself it was just a really awful awful era unforced just trying to keep temperature in the tires behind the safety car just a bit too aggressive with his zigzagging on on cold tires as he's coming down the hill there and into Aquamanorale and uh yeah just stuffed it into the barriers and um he'd driven a uh, he's been superb all weekend, uh, he, he, up to his usual standard, you know, get, comfortably gets into, into Q2, qualifies at 13th, you know, he's um, he, 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 he undercut quite a few others um, by um, pitting early, but he was holding that position quite comfortably, um, looked like, you know, he's going to be able to hang on to it, and then just, yeah, just a, in a split second, that all just, just dissolved and creamed into the barriers.
0: Yeah, he uh, after he came to a halt, he he spent a good fifteen seconds just sat in the car not saying anything. You could tell he was just coming to terms with what he'd done. <laughs> and then he was very apologetic. I spoke to him after the race and just asked him about it. He he used that exact word you used, schoolboy error. He said it was amateur, said it was well, he said it was definitely probably the biggest mistake in his, his racing career. And it said it was made all the worse by the fact that when he's made big errors, perhaps in the past before he was an F1. He was normally running at the front of a championship, so it's like, oh well, I've I've thrown away that result, but you know, I'll, I'll get the next one. Whereas he doesn't know exactly when the next opportunity is here, and it, it starts to become a little bit concerning because obviously we know how good Russell is, and the rest of his weekend up to that point was fantastic, and then he undid it all in in an instant. But he needs to be very careful about getting a reputation as a guy who doesn't nail it when it really matters, because I don't think that's what he is. And he's shown in the past he can do that. But Scott, this is a, it is going to be the kind of thing people remember. And probably the only person who will be happy about it is Roman Grosjean, who now has another driver who's remembered as the, the guy who crashed under the safety car.
1: Yeah. Well, Roman has, um, I think uh, Roman's messaged uh, George on, uh, well, not messaged him, but he's commented on George's Instagram to say that he knows how it feels. and. Uh, Did he play Ericsson? Like- Lend, yeah, lending lend his support, and actually, Ericsson <laughs> Marcus Eriksson, tweeted us during the Grand Prix to say it definitely wasn't him, <laughs> which I thought was a nice touch. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a, it's. I mean, yeah, there's nothing I can say uh, to 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 add really to the, to to what you guys have said in terms of the the extent of the error. My my concern is that it's. Um, it, it's sort of what you said, it, it's that element of George looking like a little bit of a choker whenever those big opportunities come. And if, you know, now it's uh, it's when he's got the chance to score a point is he fumbles it. But what if he then gets put into a midfield car or an upper midfield car? You know, it's that sort of Nico Hülkenberg kind of situation where Hülkenberg had a couple of opportunities in chaotic races to maybe get that elusive podium and never quite did. You know, is George going to be a Hulkenberg calibre driver, caliber, someone who looks really good, but isn't quite great. And I think, as you've sort of alluded to, Ed, I don't think George is a choker. I think he is the kind of guy who who, who can produce when it matters. He's just made a stupid, stupid error this time. And I'm pretty, pretty confident, like I am whenever Charles Leclerc makes a, an error in a certain way, I am very, very sure that George won't be doing this again.
0: Yeah, he will... Uh... Uh, he said he'd learned he's learned from it I'm not sure why he needed to learn not to uh not to crash into the safety car but obviously he said these cars can bite you in in those uh, in those sorts of conditions you know it's one of those things that you could it's sort of easily done, but it shouldn't be, not at this level. So, yeah, he's just going to have to take that one on the chin and, and try and come back in Turkey and uh, and fight for that point again. But, yeah, bad, bad day for him in the end from what was looking like a very promising position because I reckon, well, he reckoned he'd have he'd have held on to the points position. I think he probably would have done as well, although he'd have had more laps because his, his crash wouldn't have happened, so it wouldn't have extended the safety car. So it would have been more than six laps of green flag running. But as long as he'd survived that initial restart first lap or two when you're trying to get some temperature in, then I think he'd have been uh, all right. But he did help out Alfa Romeo, Scott. Kimi Räikkönen was ninth, Antonio Giovinazzi was 10th. That means their voice-like grip on the coveted eighth place in the Constructors' Championship grows stronger. Um, There was help from retirements there, but double points finish for that team is unprecedented in uh, in 2020, isn't it?
1: Yes, it's it's pretty good going. Um, And it was met with typically understated Kimi Räikkönen, fashion afterwards who he didn't seem to really care to be to be honest um but Giovinazzi was happy I think he felt that uh, a really good first lap which he's pretty decent at at the moment even if he's a bit of an erratic qualifier um he felt that that sort of set the tone for for, for the race and yeah it was Kimmy was on that um that classic I'm not quick enough to do anything in this race strategy where you just stay out as long as possible and hope the race comes to you but what was really impressive for me was that Räikkönen was able to execute that strategy without it blowing up in his face. Like I don't, I didn't really see the the times go off a cliff or anything like that. So I actually, did quite a decent job of making the race come to him a little bit, like um, Esteban Ocon at Algarve uh, last week. Not not identical circumstances, but just that ability to to make that really really long first stint work. And then yeah, a little bit of chaos happens, and you've put yourself in a position to to, to luck in. So you've made a bit of fortune for yourself.
0: Yeah, 48 laps he did on those starting set of uh, mediums, and that meant he onto jump uh, onto the softs. And, Mark, obviously it has been a big week for that team because they've confirmed the Alfa Romeo deal continues for another year, perhaps not beyond that, but there's certainly going to be one more year. Then we had the announcement that Kimi Räikkönen and Antonio Giovinazzi were staying on. Earlier this year, we thought that Kimi might be on his way out of that team. I certainly expected him to be, but then as we reported around Nürburgring time, He'd informed the team he was going to take up an option. I think we think there that he said he was going to, even though he hadn't quite put pen to paper properly. And then Giovinazzi's place has been shored up in recent weeks. So what exactly is going on there? Because this is a slightly different driver lineup to what we maybe would have expected, say, two months ago.
2: Yeah, I think um, one of the things is that probably uh, Nico Hülkenberg's taken himself out of the equation because he's probably got hopes of something more competitive. Um, So... Uh, that that sort of probably helped Kimmy's case, and as for Giovinazzi, his performances have improved i mean his um you know the he's in the latter third of the season he's been he's been quite respectable um and we haven't seen the the series of scrappy errors that had characterized his season up until that point um yeah so there's a there's obviously a ferrari junior driver um looking to be placed somewhere. Um, that seems to be opened up at Haas, so yeah. That um, I guess they were faced f- with the the Giovinazzi seat of a another Ferrari d- Junior, a different one, or um, or, or sticking with what they've got. And uh, yeah, that's that's clearly Freddie's Freddie's decision.
0: Well, it may have been forced a little bit. I suspect the fact that there's an Italian driver in that team and Alpha deal goes on for one more year may not be entirely mm. unrelated in 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 that case, but. Ultimately, it doesn't matter how you get there. You've got to get on the grid, stay on the grid and and do your job. And Giovinazzi at his best can be very good. I found him very frustrating, as I think I've said many times before. But if he can get it all together and and find that consistency, he sort of has spells where he's very strong because he had that run of races when Raikkonen was kind of utterly on top from Spain through. And then the last sort of few weekends have been pretty decent. So, yeah, interesting to see how he gets on. So, Haas, we're expecting... Mick Schumacher and Nikita Mazepin are we Scott is that our current expectation there's still a little bit of wriggle room there isn't there
1: yeah it looks like that's the way it's going though that satisfies what what we're expecting well you know Ferrari's going to put Mick in Formula One aren't they because he he looks like he's about to, to to win the Formula Two title obviously still needs to to see that out um and Haas is now the only option uh to do that um and they they want a bit of money as well, which is where Nikita Mazepin comes in. So it does look like Haas is going to go for an all rookie lineup in 2021. That obviously has some negatives attached, but as far as Haas is concerned, it's expecting to be near the back of the grid anyway next year. So you might as well, might as well benefit from that Ferrari relationship. Get one of their leading proteges in your car. There's a bit of a commercial benefit, isn't there as well, to having a Schumacher, uh, uh, especially one making his debut um, in your car. Um and Mazapin's obviously incredibly well financed. So if it is those two, I can see the um for a team in Hass's position, probably the benefits outweigh the negatives.
0: Yeah, it certainly seems to be uh to be headed that way. And of course there'll be probably some more driver market news in the in the coming weeks as everything settles down. We should briefly say a word for Nicholas Latifi, who's had his third eleventh place. Which uh, is unfortunate. I'm hoping he might match what Michele Alboreto did in '92 in the footwork. I think Alboreto had six seventh places at the point when points went down to to six. So uh, if uh, if Latifi can have another another handful of those in the remaining races, he'll uh, he'll end up with a uh, very large number of very frustrating uh, weekends. I don't think he's the most frustrated. Williams driver but he did all right this weekend now Scott you did have a little bit of sympathy for Sebastian Vettel earlier he lost his chance of a points finish or at least a point finish uh, at that pit stop his season's just not getting any better is it
1: uh not in terms of results but I I think there might have been a, a I don't want to be too generous I think there's the the signs of some shoots of recovery in the last couple of races but his problem is he's just so slow (laughs) in qualifying he just can't get it together over one lap he just cannot do anything close to what Leclerc's capable of doing in that in that car but we, we saw the underlying class of Vettel again I think in this race similar to in Spain where he managed to execute that um managed to execute that unusual strategy that he ended up having a minor argument with ferrari over during the during the race but this this time it was you know run long and then it looked like he was on the the verge of rejoining in what i think would have been a net ninth or tenth and he would have obviously had fresher tires obviously the race ended up being a bit chaotic at the end so you, it's difficult to know exactly how he would have fit into that but yeah this uh this painfully slow pit stop completely ruined that. So just as he looked like he was on uh, on on course for a rare multiple points finish, I think he's only had two this year because he's had a handful of 10th places. Would have been the first time he'd... Uh, first opportunity to score more than one point in the Grand Prix since since Spain and only the third time this year he'd have done so and then taken away from him. Obviously, he had a clumsy first lap tipping Magnussen into that that spin, but... I actually thought it was quite a good drive from Vettel afterwards, and it deserved more than uh, more than it ended up with. And for once, that end result wasn't just because Seb was having a bit of a tug.
0: And of course, he was carrying a bit of damage as well after that contact, as Altery Bottas knows all too well. Now, Mark, Alex Albon, he spun down to fifteenth late on, finished last behind Roman Grosjean, who was relegated to fourteenth behind Stroll by a five-second track limits penalty, because Grosjean just can't resist a track limits penalty this season. It, it is all over Red Bull seat-wise for Albon, surely, isn't it?
2: Yeah, and I thought so. I would have thought so even before the spin. I mean, he's a, running in a fairly unremarkable sixth place, and he said afterwards it was just one of those races where you're stuck behind other cars and you can't use the performance. Well, yeah, but that's that's true, but you have to qualify ahead of the slower cars to, in order for that not to happen, and he's, he's just not been doing that. I mean... Offside sixth, which sounds respectable, but was still almost four tenths off his teammate. It was still behind an Alfatari and, and a Renault, um, and he's in a Red Bull. And it's, yeah, it's, it's a demanding car to drive, but it, 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 there is performance in it, as Max is showing, and it, he's just not accessing it. So even even without the spin, which is really just the light, final little flourish to a pretty unremarkable weekend, um, I, I, I think. Um, yeah, he's 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 fate is set now in terms of the Red Bull seat.
0: And of course, he was uh, not desperate to, but he was he was hoping that it was some contact that led to that spin as well. Obviously, it was uh, after he'd been passed by Perez. Uh, Sergio Perez. So, yeah, the team obviously didn't want to kind of shatter his illusions too emphatically over the radio, did they? But yeah, it was fairly clear there wasn't any uh, any contact. It was just probably a little bit too. Aggressive on the throttle when the rear wasn't quite settled, and uh, and round he went. Uh, Scott, the the concern for me is that yeah, the Red Bull seat's been it was gone. I think as Mark said before the race, but the chance of Alpin salvaging anything Formula One wise with this sort of thing happening, it's not high, is it? Which is a shame because as we said, there's a driver in there, but you know, it, it's not coming, is it?
1: No, it's not. Um, I don't see, I don't see why a, why another team would hire him um on on this this form you know he wasn't on anyone's f1 radar before red bull plucked him out of what would have been a formula econ uh would, would have been a formula e season they they did extract him from a Formula E contract um because nobody wanted our one before this and he's always been said to by the likes of um, leclerc or russell norris to be one of the most underrated drivers outside of formula one before he got his chance he did a great job I thought 2019, he really exceeded expectations with Toro Rosso and with Red Bull. Um, but it, Red Bull has given him this this career in F1 and it looks like looking like it's going to be short-lived because if Red Bull don't, don't want him and on the basis, not just of this Grand Prix, but just sort of the way this season has gone, I can't really see any justification for them keeping him on. Why would anyone else want to pick him up?
2: Yeah, he's had ample opportunity and yeah, it's been under under the spotlight and under big pressure but that you know you you have to be able to withstand that if you're going to make make the grade um he's probably got that opportunity a little bit too early in hindsight um and it's it's he's been put in a tricky car alongside you know maybe the fastest driver there is if, if c- certainly you know a contender for that title along with with Hamilton um in a you know in, in a car which is um, it derives his performance from um, being very quick into a corner uh, in the, on the entry to a corner but it gets that from the, the, the fast direction change that comes from a, a little bit of a lively rear end and if you get let it go too far it um, it doesn't come back and it, it, he's tended to back away from that rather than um, have the confidence to ride it like uh, like, like it has to be ridden, and that's the only way you can make it go fast. And um, he he seems to have tried to calm the car and get it more molded around him. But I think the, it's in the philosophy, it's in the DNA of that car that it derives its lap time performance from. That it's been developed over seasons and seasons of of, of having a, a power deficit, and that's um that that's how if it's got more drag and it's slow down the straights um, you know you, you, the only way you're going to have a hope of um, competing is to make it quick into the corner and the entry of the corner and, and that uh, when, you, when you're when you scratching a little bit for power um, that, that usually entails a, a pretty lively car that's that's going to have to be um,
0: driven Yeah I think all you can do now with Red Bull saying they want to finalise things before the Turkish Grand Prix is just Try and perform in the last few races and leave a positive impression. If he can, if he can have a strong finish, then people might look at him and think, "Oh, there we go." It's uh, once he's been uh, let out of the pressure of uh, of trying to keep the seat, he's suddenly doing well. But yeah, if he doesn't do that, I can't see many people uh, dialing his number to uh, to get him in, into a seat. Unfortunately, because yeah, like I said, you know, there's potential there. Uh, just finally, we should give our verdict on the two day meeting. What did you think, Scott? Ninety minutes of free practice and straight into qualifying.
1: Uh, yeah, and also from our point of view, um, none of the nonsense on Friday and the, the usual pre-event media stuff was all crammed into into Friday instead, but with the team bosses all speaking um, instead of uh, just the drivers. So three representatives from each team, two drivers and a team person, which I thought was, was really good. Um, I actually think that, uh, and the reason I mention it is because I'm considering this from a sort of holistic point of view. I understand the, the desire to have as much track action as possible, but I actually think in terms of storytelling, in terms of um, being able to sort of dig into different aspects of each of the different teams, I think having access to as many people as possible is important from a TV point of view, from a written media point of view. Um, so I think you know just a bit more face time from 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 the team, the, the team personnel who who are really important figureheads. I think um, ridding everybody of the 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 boredom of those parts of fp1 and fp2 that nobody really really likes and just that sort of um a little bit more uncertainty going into into qualifying and 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 the race as well i thoroughly enjoyed it i don't know if it would work that well if every race weekend was like that because i'm sure everybody would get used to it and it would get stale quite quickly but i thought it was quite a successful experiment and I'd, i'd certainly like to see more grand prix run to this kind of format in the future
0: certainly a valid option to add to the calendar menu so to speak what do you reckon mark do you think we'll see more of these
1: yeah i think we'll probably see a mixture of them
2: um it, it's a complicated equation because um the well the, the under non covid conditions it, it's it's complicated but it's complicated even more as as things stand because the whole economic model of the sport is is very different but it from promoter to promoter, the, the, the economic circumstances, the commercial circumstances are very different. And some of them are probably adamant that under normal circumstances, when when um, spectators are allowed to buy tickets, they need that third day. So there's going to have to be some way of um, making that model work so that it's still, it still pays the circuit to host a race. Um, so they might, such tracks might not be the obvious place to try it, but other, other places probably aren't that... Places like China, Bahrain, probably aren't that fussed. You know how many, how many people actually buy tickets. So it, it maybe works there. Some better, who knows? But personally, I quite liked it. I quite like the, the the quick, you know, the quick turnaround of of the story. I, I, I like that. Um, whether the fan, but it's it's more important that the fans like it, or maybe they prefer the slow build up and the the gradual ratcheting up of the the excitement over over three days. I don't know. Um it should be guided, I, I guess, by the fans as as well as by the commercial considerations.
0: Yeah, and it, it certainly will be. And I think variety is a good thing, though. It doesn't have to be homogenised, so that's the the positive, that at least there's a, a kind of proof of concept, shall we say. Uh, well, thanks very much, Scott Mitchell and Mark Hughes. Uh, please do head to the races' websites for all sorts of stories that emerged from what I'm still insisting on calling the San Marino Grand Prix. Uh, do also check out our other podcasts, such as Bring Back V10s, which tells stories from F1 from 1989 to 2005. Second series of that has just finished. And also, please do have a look at our YouTube channel. If you're not already among the 400,000-plus have already subscribed free to it. We've got a week off now before the Turkish Grand Prix but the Race F1 podcast will be back next week so thanks for listening and join us then for more.